really thankful to be together with you this morning. <clears throat> it's a real joy to uh, be able to be with you uh, in worship and to uh, have had a chance to share with you what our Lord Jesus is doing faithfully uh, way down south in that little country of Uruguay and South America. And uh, so uh, here with you this morning, I want to uh, bring you greetings also uh, de todos sus hermanos y hermanas en Cristo allá en Uruguay your brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the church there. It's a blessing for me to bring the Lord's word to us this morning uh, as each of us come together before our Father with humble hearts, uh, ready to listen to him. So would you please uh, open the word of God with me together to Philippians. We're in Philippians, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. Just a moment. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 13, and uh, the Apostle Paul at this point in his ministry is uh, coming towards the end of his ministry. He is now actually under house arrest there in Rome awaiting his trial. And, uh, but as you read through the letter of the Philippians, he's writing with great joy, uh, thinking about this church. Uh, these are folks that have reached out to love him while he's been under house arrest, they sent one of their own members named Epaphroditus, and uh, he came and stayed with Paul. He brought with them, with him gifts uh, for Paul's use, uh, but then stayed together with Paul for a while and ministered to him at his side. So Paul is uh, very thankful uh, for their ministry to him. So let's listen together, shall we? Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, <clears throat> excuse me. Therefore, my brothers, uh, who you, who you, whom I love and long for, my love, my joy and crown, uh, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, 
whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here and that you are gracious to open uh, your word to us and to speak to us today. And we thank you, Father, that you are faithful uh, to be at work in us so that the good work that you've begun in us of salvation, that you are continuing on uh, even in this moment as we're before you in your word, uh, perfecting it, making us more like our Savior until the day of his return. So, Father, would you please work in us now. Uh, Fill us with your spirit. We pray you would be work to change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I was not happy. I was not very happy at all. Um, Ever since I began my pastoral ministry, going back about 20 years, I've always taken Mondays off from being a pastor. Uh, It's the day after Sunday. It makes perfect sense because Sunday is usually the busiest day of the week for a pastor. And so that was my favorite day uh, to get things done around the house, to be with my family and so on. Uh, I maintained that. I I protected and guarded that until just recently when down in Montevideo where I'm teaching for the seminary, uh, they asked me to switch my class to Monday nights which then meant that I had to use Monday afternoon to prepare, and there goes my Monday day off. So I wasn't too happy about that, but I thought, hey, it's all right. I guess I can switch to Tuesday, and I'll just do that. Well, no, that didn't work either, because then as we were talking with people in our church, we figured out that Tuesday was the best day to have Bible study in the church building. And so there goes the idea of Tuesdays off. So nowadays... Uh, My day off kind of looks like half of one day and half of another, or thereabouts. And um, I'm telling you I'm not happy about that, and I I still think I kind of wrestle with that. Uh, But I've noticed that my heart has not been very content about it. I I have found myself grumbling and complaining that after all this time, I've had to make that kind of change in my life and in my family's life. And of course, I kind of recognize that I'm really sinning in my heart, sinning against the Lord and not trusting him uh, to provide for me and knowing that it's his providence that, uh, you know, at this point, that's where he wants me in my life. But you know, beloved, certainly as believers, as children of God, we should be content people, right? I mean, no matter what our circumstances The Apostle Paul tells his son of the faith, Timothy, how he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Um, Even here in Philippians uh, chapter 4, Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And of course, we realize right here, he's writing these words while he is probably chained to a Roman guard waiting his trial in a situation where he could easily be complaining about being uncomfortable, about the food, about being detained from his missionary ministry. He still has a content heart. 
So, beloved, what is it that you and I need to learn from the Apostle Paul so that we can move through um, the various circumstances and the various changes in our lives, still being content, being satisfied people in who we are in Christ? Well, as we look at verses 10 through 13 here in our text, uh, what we see is that Paul is telling the Philippian believers that Christian contentment, Christian satisfaction with life is really something that we, first of all, acquire, uh, something that we need to learn. It doesn't come naturally for us. And secondly, as, as we do learn it, we find out contentment is an attitude that is absolute. It doesn't change with the way, when our circumstances change. But you see, it is absolute because it's an attitude that is anchored to our Lord Jesus Christ, who never changes. Look with me, if you would, at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, uh, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, uh, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In Sunday school, I was talking a little bit about mate and how that's the drink, the, the strong green tea people love to drink in Uruguay. Well, when I first tasted mate, it tasted something like wet grass. Okay? How many of you like to drink wet grass? Uh, I was not into it. So, but after a while, so after a while, learning how they prepare it, learning, getting a better sense of appreciation for how they share it with others and build community that way, I've actually come to enjoy it. Uh, it is a little much maintenance for me, though, having to keep refilling the mug all the time and so on. But I do enjoy it after, after amount of time. It's an acquired taste. And you see, contentment is very much like that. Um, in very much the same way, contentment, first of all, to be content isn't natural for us. It's never come naturally for us. From the very beginning, uh, we've been discontent people. Think back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were created in the image and likeness of God himself. They were the crowning glory over all of creation. They were made to perfection, no mistakes, no uh, sinless. And God had made them second in command over all of creation, giving them dominion over all that there was. He had put them in a paradise where they were working. Uh, there were no... Uh, no pain, any spirit's pain, no problems. Adam and Eve would have had an amazing marriage. And above all else, they were walking with, with God in a sweet communion that you and I can really only imagine about still. And yet all that wasn't good enough for them. When Satan came and tempted them to sin against God, they listened to his lies. In Genesis 3, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, this fruit, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He told them that they'd be like God, that they'd have the same knowledge, that they'd have the same authority, and they believed him, and they ate the fruit. They weren't content with all that they enjoyed. They wanted more. And you see, beloved, from that moment on, that's been the case with us. Discontent really dominates our human nature. It's like... No matter how much we already have, despite all we've already been given, we usually want more. King David, if 
fell into the same trap. He started out as a poor boy shepherding his father's sheep. God came to him and crowned him over his people, king over Israel. And he gave him victory after victory over his enemies. God gave him his own promise that he would always have somebody sitting on his throne from the line of David. And yet one evening he sees Bathsheba, another man's wife. He takes her for himself and then plots her husband's murder. But you see, David's heart is our heart too. If there's something that we really want, we must have it. Beloved, our discontent is really rooted in our heart's desires. If you would, keep your finger here in Philippians 4. Turn with me to James chapter 4. just want to look at a couple of verses here because James puts this so well for us. He asks a couple of very pointed questions, he says. James 4 verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that uh, your passions, it's your passions that are at war within you? Uh, You desire and do not have, and so you murder. You covenant and cannot obtain, uh, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Uh, The truth of the matter is, beloved, that we all have desires. Uh, Many of them, true enough, many of them are sinful to begin with, like King David's. But, you know, certainly there are a lot of good things that we want. We we want our young people sometimes, or that is, our young people really want to be good at sports. Uh, Or maybe they want to look good. Or maybe they want to, to make their parents proud. Or they want someday to be married and to have a family. They want to be successful. Right. I mean, all of those are really good things. Uh, But what's the problem? The problem is when we turn those desires into demands. They become demands. We convince ourselves that those are things that we can't live without. That we have to have them in order to be happy. So sometimes we're not content with ourselves or things about our own lives. Sometimes we're not content with what we have. You know, we like nicer clothing, like a bigger house, we like a faster computer. Other times we become discontent with the people in our lives. A lot of times the people that are closest to us. Parents want their kids to get better grades. Teens usually want their parents to treat them with more uh, respect like adults. Not that any of that is necessarily wrong, but when we start demanding what we want, what happens when we don't get it? Become frustrated, complain, we get angry, and we can really cause a ton of heartache in our relationships. The preacher Charles Spurgeon puts it like this, greed, discontent, and murmur are as natural to man as thorns are to the earth. We don't have to plant the thorns. They grow naturally. So we don't have to teach the man to complain. He complains quickly without any education. However, the precious things of the earth need to be cultivated. If we want to have the flowers, we have to have all the care of the gardener. Now, he says, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we want to have it, it has to be cultivated. And the Apostle Paul tells us exactly that, uh, that he 
had cultivated that content heart. Look again in verse 11, the second part. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for what? I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. He even goes on to repeat himself in the middle of verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The Greek word that Paul uses here for learn is uh, the word that's very similar to disciple, a disciple. And that's somebody that learns over time to put into practice what his master is teaching him, right? And so Paul had learned from all the experiences that God had given to him that he could be content whatever his experience. And you know, beloved, that's really how it works for you and me as well. Contentment is something that we learn, and it's an attitude that we cultivate. How do we do that? Well, look with me again, back, uh, just if you're back in Philippians 4, back up just a little bit with me, some of the verses previously to that. In verse 4, Paul's saying, rejoice always. Again, I'll say rejoice in our circumstances. We're looking for, for what we are, what can rejoice in God about. What, what is it that God is still, how can we see him still working and caring for us? Verse 5 Paul talks about being gentle. Well, gentleness gentleness is, a, is a, an attitude that doesn't demand from others. In verse 6, Paul says, don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything do what? Pray. Pray with thankfulness for what the Lord has already given you. So, you see, that's really the process of learning how to be content. We're taking the desires of our heart and we're placing them before the Lord. And as we do, we're being thankful for what he's already given to us and already done. So, for example, let's just say that uh, you've had a long day at work and you're on your way home, driving away, and uh, you can't wait to get home. You know, plop down in your easy chair, kick off your shoes, chill out for a little while. And suddenly you're stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic. The highway has turned into a parking lot, and you're just sitting there. So, what do you do? Well, let me rephrase that. What should you do? You should pray. You should pray. Father, thank you for a good day at work. Thank you for what I got done today. Thank you for keeping me safe in this traffic. Thank you for my home. Thank you for the family that's waiting for me to come home to. And Father, help me to remember that that you're using this traffic jam to teach me to be patient and to trust in you. I have a good friend of mine that was uh, stuck in a traffic jam down uh, south of Philadelphia. And as he was stuck there, he, in the same situation, he was on his way home, he couldn't go anywhere. But instead of complaining about it, I don't think he complained about it, but what he told me was that uh, he just started like looking around at the other people in the cars that were next to him and just kind of wondering, what's their situation? You know, what's going on with them right now? What, what, what are they waiting for at home? And, or what kind of work are they coming from? And then he was thinking about, how, how is God working providentially in this whole situation? Well, eventually, my friend wrote a novel <laughs> about that whole theme of God's providence. And has published a novel. And it's a, it's a very good read, by the way. So you see what... 
what uh, kind of fruit that contentment can produce. But it's something we have to learn, beloved. It's an attitude that we cultivate. And as we do, what do we find out? That being content is an attitude that is absolute. It's not something that's going to change depending on our circumstances. Just a quick question. Um, When do you think it's most challenging to be a content person? To have that attitude? All the time. Really, all the time. I mean, first of all, it's difficult in times of need. In times of need. Paul understood what it meant, didn't he? To be in need. Just look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low, he says. And I know how to abound. In any every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and what? And hunger, abundance, and need. All we really have to do is listen to his own testimony when he's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, And even here, writing this letter, Paul is chained to a Roman guard. Uh, And there was no way that it could have been easy for him to keep from grumbling or complaining. But what we see in the Apostle Paul is that same attitude that he had had years ago that uh, Pastor Pastor Dennison shared with us from Acts 16. When he was first in Philippi and the church had first started, remember what had happened. Paul and Silas were attacked by the crowd. They had done a miracle in Jesus' name. The crowd attacked them. They were seized. They were stripped naked. They were whipped and thrown into prison. How easy it would have been to start grumbling and complaining, right? But they both had already learned to be content. In verse 25 we read, about midnight, Paul and Silas were, what? Praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. They were lifting their hearts in prayer and praise while the others were listening. And you remember what the Lord did? He used their content hearts, their attitudes, to start a new church. Because the Philippian jailer came and said, tell me, what do I have to do to be saved? And he was. And the church got started. And this is the same church that years later sends Paul all this help to him while he is under house arrest. Beloved, you and I are going to go through times of need. We do. We will. Um, One of my jobs down, uh, one of my jobs in the house in Montevideo is taking out the trash. So I often go down to the dumpster in the corner, and when I arrive, uh, very often I find someone has the lid open and is sorting through, trying to find something that they need. There's been a couple times when I've opened the lid to find somebody in there, you know, just because they're, they're desperate. And so many times I've been walking back to the house and just telling myself, Mark, be careful, don't, don't judge them. That could happen to me. That could be me. My, my circumstances could change tomorrow. I mean, I don't know what the Lord has in store for me or my family. And we don't know. And our circumstances are going to change. But God's faithfulness will never change. Will never change. We have his promises. 
to always be with us, his promise to always provide our every need, and his promise that he's using our circumstances to get us to trust him more and depend on him. And as we do, we can stay content in times of need. But, you know, we're also challenged to be content when we already have everything we need. In fact, I think sometimes that's even harder when we have what we need or even more. Do you know the Apostle Paul understood this too? Again in verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound, he says. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. At this point, you know, the Apostle Paul could look back over his life and he could see the times he had everything he needed and even more. He had been able to provide for his own needs. Other times, churches had provided for him. He'd also seen the, uh, just the, the beauty of his own ministry at work, like in Philippi, when he preached Christ to Lydia and God opened her heart and her, her family was brought into the church. Same with the Philippian jailer and the church got started. And he had done that so many times. The churches had taken shape, you know, through his gospel preaching, humbling proud hearts, producing joy in people and desire for Christ. How easy would it have been for Paul to start thinking, you know, I deserve better than what I'm getting for all my work. For all his time and his energy and his dedication to the churches, Paul could have at least demanded to be paid. He could have at least demanded greater respect from church members. But Paul had learned to be content. He was satisfied with being the missionary that God called him to be. As a matter of fact, what Paul wanted more than anything else was to know Christ. To know Christ and to keep knowing him better. That that comes out in uh, Philippians chapter 3 in the same letter, beloved, in Chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing him. For you and me, when we have all we need, and maybe even, even far more than that, we get caught up with all the gifts, and we can easily forget the giver. It doesn't take long before what we already have isn't enough and we start desiring more or wanting more or demanding more. Again, listen to, listen to Spurgeon. When we have many of God's blessings, often it happens that we have little of God's grace and little gratitude for his generosity. We are full, he says, and we forget God. But brothers and sisters, a content heart doesn't forget God. No matter what, uh, whether we have more than what we need or we don't have what we need, we can live like satisfied Christian people. But how? How? That's a secret. Paul says it's a secret. But thankfully, it's not the kind of secret that he's wanting to keep from everyone. He tells us what it is. It's that our contentment is anchored to our Savior, to our Jesus. Verse 13, look with me. Here it is. This is his secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, uh, this is the verse that 
normally comes to our mind when we're suddenly faced with a serious challenge. Suddenly there's something major that we have to do. There's something really difficult. Or maybe there's a difficult conversation that we have to have with someone. And we remember, Jesus is our strength. We can do this through him. He gives us everything we need. But then let's not forget what Paul's talking about here, right? Paul was talking about contentment. Paul was content when he was preaching and the church was growing, or now he's sitting there chained to a Roman guard. Either way, he's still content because he had learned the secret. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's knowing Jesus Christ. And it's striving to get, him know, to, get to know him better every day. That's what it is. So, beloved, whether things are going great for us or whether everything seems to fall apart, we can be and we need to be and we will be content people when we stay anchored to Jesus, who is our strength. In verse 13, Paul literally uses a phrase. He says, Christ makes me strong in the Greek. So Jesus is always present with us in his spirit to strengthen us. There was a time, Paul shared with Timothy that um, at one point other friends and co-workers that he had had deserted him. They had abandoned him. But he says, the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. So that through me the message would be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles would hear it. There was another time. Paul uh, had been praying to the Lord to, uh, to remove this uh, thorn in his flesh that he had, whether it was some physical problem or whether it was some spiritual trial. And it was so distressing that he kept praying and praying to be freed from it. Yet the Lord said to him, you remember what he said, right? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect through weakness. How did Paul respond to that? He says, well, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ would rest on me in my weakness. So, beloved, Jesus is our strength. He keeps us content, um, whatever circumstances we're going through. And even as he is uh, perfecting his power in us through our circumstances, we come to find out he's not only our strength, he's our sufficiency. He's everything we need. We see that too in the Apostle Paul here in his letter in chapter 2. Paul just lived in the great wonder of all that Christ had done to save us. In chapter 2, he calls the Philippians to be like Jesus, who, he says, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but Jesus emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Beloved, this is our Jesus. This is who he is and this is what he has done for us. Are you and I contenting ourselves in our Savior? Are we Because Jesus himself was content, you know. He was content to turn his back on all the glory of heaven to enter into our world. 
our sin-corrupted world. He was content to take on a human body like ours with all of its problems and limitations. He was content to place himself under all the demands of the law that he had made and ordained for us. Our Jesus was content every day to face temptations that we face, yet unlike us, to resist every one of them. Our Jesus was content to take our sinfulness on himself when he went to the cross and to there be punished and to receive on his own body the wrath of God against our sin, the hell that we deserve for our sin, our condemnation. He took upon himself once and for all, beloved, for us. And as Jesus was content to do all of that for us, God the Father was happy to raise him from the dead and seat him in his right hand and give him authority all over all heaven and earth. And beloved, you know, this is our Jesus who is content this very day to be interceding for us in glory before the throne. He's the only reason that we can be here worshiping God right now. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. And he lives within you and me in his spirit. That's our Jesus. He is everything we need. Are we knowing him better every day? Are we anchoring our lives to him? Meeting together with him in his word? Um, wherever it is that I'm reading, usually through my devotional time, I always love to go back to the Gospels. Going through the Gospel of Luke right now, just because that's where I can step into the sandals of the disciples and walk along with Jesus and see him with my own two eyes in that sense and to see and to know, to know his compassion, which, by the way, is the attribute attributed to Jesus in the Gospels more than any other attribute, his compassion. But to see also his wisdom, his faithfulness, his love, and his power. So are you meeting with him? Are you coming to him in prayer? Are you opening your heart up to him? You just need to know that there's really only one area of our lives that we should never be content with. And that's in our getting to know our Savior. We will always be getting to know him better. I believe even in glory, after he comes again, we'll still be getting to know our Savior even better than we do than we will when we're resurrected. So we need to be looking to Jesus for everything we need. And that is so that we can say with the psalmist, when he was writing Psalm 73, and how he said, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Beloved, that really is true Christian contentment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please work in us a heart that loves to know our Savior better. There's so many things, Father, that vie, vie for our attention in this world. And you know too, Lord, there's so many things in our hearts that we do want and desire. And so many of them are good things, things that honor you. 
But how quickly, Lord, do we turn uh, desires into demands? How quickly? How, how often? Father, you know. You know our hearts. And we pray, uh, be gracious to us. That we would learn to rejoice in you in whatever our circumstance is. That we would learn, Lord, to take our desires and to lay them before you. Uh, trusting you to provide as you will and in your time. We pray, Lord, be working in us uh, this heart that's content to know our Jesus and to know him better. And Father, thank you. Thank you because you're faithful to do this for your glory in our lives and the life of this church. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.